good to see all of you here. Today we're uh, beginning this new series. It's going to take us up through Christmas, and this series is called Immeasurably More. And really, as 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 uh, Bruce was sharing, kind of describing the focus of this series, God has poured so much into our lives, and so it gives us an opportunity to 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 sow that back into the lives of others and to pour that back out into the way that we live in gratitude. And so God, He has given us abundantly beyond what anyone here might think to ask God to give you. He has given you so much more than, than you could come up with if you were to submit your list to Him. God, I need this. And he, he, he has poured so much into our lives, far beyond what we could even imagine would be on the best list we could come up with. That's what the Scripture teaches. We'll look at that verse later on in this series. But, and you actually cannot measure His goodness. You can't measure. There's no way for you to measure out His provision in your life. It's just so rich. And, and, and you experience Him at work. And oftentimes we're not noting all those things. I mean, I was talking with my family about... Let's, let's, a couple of days ago we were just... What are we thankful for? And I, we realized we need some sort of a journal. We need some sort of a way to keep recording these things because there is so much that God has done and there's so, so much to give thanks for. So the goal of this series is really celebrate what, what is it that God has done and then and respond to Him throughout this entire holiday season. And if you're like me, the holidays, and as Jared mentioned, the holidays are these times of emotionally, like there's ups and there's downs and through from Thanksgiving all the way through to New Year's, brings about a bunch of emotions depending on your family uh, circumstances and maybe your plans and uh, the financial aspect of this season. There's all of these different things. And so we run all sorts of scenarios about what we hope to experience in this time. Where are we going to go? What are we gonna, who are we going to see? What are we going to do there? And are we going to get refreshed? And, uh, you know, is it really going to be the most wonderful time of the year? We'll see, huh? I mean, we don't really know yet. We might want to sing that after the fact. Uh, let's, let's face it, this time of year brings expectations. And so often when we set expectations, then disappointments can quickly follow our expectations. And so just a real simple goal for this morning is I want to really help us prepare to deal with the expectations that come with the holidays, especially Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and just the traveling or the, the, the gatherings. I want to help us prepare to just deal with the expectations. How should we approach those expectations? And I personally need that help just as you do, because the pressure is mounting already in my mind about what's on my plate and what's in, what's in store and will I get all the best deals on Black Friday or Cyber Monday and will I, will I log on in just in time to see that one hour sale that we, you know, that, that, would, meet, that would meet that person's uh, wish, you know. And so there's all these things re- regarding this season that, that create expectation. And so what I want to do is I want to turn our attention to uh, the Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 63. And we'll look at David. David is the man who understood expectations and pressure. I want to look at a poem that he wrote about 3,000 years ago when he was uh, the king of Israel. And David was a shepherd. Before he was king, here's, here's a shot from the, those, you know, 3,000 years ago. Someone, you know, paparazzi crawled up in a tree and they caught him. Where was he then? You know, he was tending sheep in in the fields for his father. And uh, he's got a harp in his hand here. He's playing for the sheep, you know. And, uh, you know, he, he was a musician and he was a shepherd. And 
he was he was basically kind of the unlikely person to become the most unlikely person to become the next king. When the prophet Samuel came to anoint him to be the king, he God said, You're gonna to go to this one man and one of his sons is gonna be the next king and the prophet Samuel sees these strapping strong guys and and he assumes it's gotta be this one. He's tall and dark and handsome well I don't know if he said that. He didn't say that actually. I know he did not say that, let me be clear. He's tall <laughs> and he's handsome. I don't know if he said anything about him being dark. He just said he was tall and, and handsome and he's gotta be the guy and God says it's not him. There's this famous statement that that is that I think it's first Samuel sixteen around verse seven. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And so he's like, I I I'm not looking at, at at this at these outward things. And so he goes son by son, eventually there's no other sons and Samuel says, Is there do you have someone else? He says, Well there's my young son, he's out there in the fields, he's he's the he he's dealing with the sheep, the smelly sheep, and so bring him out here. So and this is the man that would become their king. Now, now, David, his leadership training occurred in the fields while he was guarding his father's flocks, you know, guarding them from predators. Lion, bear that would come and try to snatch the flock. David had encounters and he actually would fight off these, um, you know, savages here. Now, here's a lion and a bear. I don't know if this is photoshopped or real, but I found it and I thought, I could use that, you know, and... And so David had an encounter with a bear and a lion. Who do you think would win between a bear and a lion first? See, we're split on this. We don't really know, huh? I don't know either. I'm fairly certain I wouldn't do well in this fight. But uh, David, God gave him the power to, to, to really go after these, these predators when they um, sought to, to take a sheep from his father's flock. This taught David courage. This taught David responsiveness. This taught David action. He, you know, obviously when things happen, you got to step into action and do something. And so David, he learned from this situation. God was preparing for him, for him to be the leader. And eventually he would face Israel's enemy, the Philistines. And the leader of that was a man named Goliath. And here's, here's a, um, another photo from, you know, thousands of years ago. And, He's about to run through, well, he's about to cut this man's head off. <laughs> okay? God had, this is Goliath, the leader of the Philistine army, this giant warrior that nobody wanted to mess with. And David comes in and, and says, you know, this man is defying the armies of God. He's defying God. He's dishonoring the name of our God. Who is going to go and defend God's honor? And everyone's like, <laughs> not, not me. He's huge. David steps up. God gives him the strength and he defeats Goliath. And over time, David becomes uh, the second king. And really, he, when you look at the kings, he was known as the greatest king of Israel. Um, he, he, wrote many of, he wrote many of the Psalms. The Psalms, we're going to look at Psalm 63. And the Psalms are near the middle or the, just before the middle of your Bible, if you were to flip there. And it, it's a large book. It's got 150 chapters. He wrote many of those Psalms. And these are Hebrew poems. And he's just writing about God, God's ways, and who God is, and His character. And he had many victories as the king as well. He was just like um, victory after victory as God empowered him to lead um, and be victorious. He, he was a joyful man. Here's a picture of um, David dancing. It says that David danced before the Lord and he just, he, he loved to celebrate. If you read through the Psalms, you see this about David, right? He was, he was, 
he was a, uh, he was a, I can't even think of the word, but he was, he often celebrated God's goodness. And he like burst out into praise. He'd pen these, these psalms that were like just praise songs, basically. Um, at one point, though, he made a, a horrible decision not to, not to lead. And rather than being the leader, he, he played a passive role at a certain point when he should have been the leader of his country. Instead of going out to lead his armies, he played a passive role and it cost him his decision to stay at home. He gave in to his desires and it cost him his, basically, eventually, his throne and the future of the country started unraveling. His son, Absalom, would actually... Now, here's, a, here's, here's high def Absalom, okay? <laughs> I don't know. If this, this is probably not Absalom. I'm just going to take a guess. But, but because of David's choices, David's throne began to unravel. And what were... This is distracting everyone, apparently. <laughs> He's a little too good looking, huh? Is that what it is? So this guy threatened David and his leadership. And so David, at a certain point, um, Absalom wanted his father's throne and sought to, to kill him. And so David fleed to the desert. He ends up fleeing to the Judean wilderness um, to seek refuge and to just wait on God to deliver him from his son who was out to take his throne. Now, generally when you think of a king, we wouldn't be able to identify with his life or with his pressure and because kings live in palaces, they live in temples, right? They're, they have servants who serve them grapes and, and um, serve their every needs. Doesn't that sound like your life? No, I mean, of course not. But King David, he, he's writing this psalm from the desert because this is a time where his expectations in life probably didn't meet his, meet his reality, didn't match his reality. He's the king, but things have gone very wrong in the kingdom. And... At this point, he's a fugitive now on the run in his own country hiding from his power-hungry son who's out to get him, basically. But his perspective from Psalm 63 is so helpful to us. From this psalm, we learn a handful of things. One is this, the top of your listening guide. Lasting gratitude is found in God. It's not found in our circumstances. Lasting gratitude is found in God, not our circumstances. Now, we generally want to look to the circumstances of our lives to set the stage for joy. If things are going well, then we rejoice and we're grateful. And wouldn't you agree? When things are going well, we're singing a happy tune. You know, we're, we're singing the, the it's the most wonderful time of the year songs. We're, we're excited about it. And so the tune of our lives... When things are going well, it's just a cheery tune. It's, it's a happy tune. But if things are down and out, if our circumstances are poor and, and, and dreary and we're tired, the tune of our lives can also be dreary and down and depressed. And, you know, I, I want the tune of my life to be one of gratitude, but so often the tune of my life can be one of grumbling and just... sadness. And in Psalm 63, David, he helps us set the tune of our lives to gratitude, despite our circumstances. And now David, again, he's in extremely trying circumstances here. He's on the run. So if you have a hard time imagining what this would be like, um, go back to the desert scene here. So imagine yourself, you're, you're driving down the 10 freeway, 
east and you head past Palm Springs and some you remember someone says, oh, it's so pretty up in the desert. You know, so you decide to go um, off-roading an hour into the desert. And you just decide, I'm just going to go off into the desert because someone said it's so pretty out here. And uh, it's like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and you get out in the desert and your car breaks down. And now you're, and you're, you didn't plan for this. You have no water. Your GPS shut down because it's not, you know, it doesn't pick up where you're at, so you're lost. And okay, so that's somewhat the setting. He he is he is far from his resources. Okay, look at Psalm sixty three verse one. This is this is the song that that he writes. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh it faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. We sang a song earlier about the desert. And this, the, this is my prayer in the desert. And it's, it's a praise song in the desert. You know, obviously the inspiration of that song that we sang is, is these words in Psalm 63. This is my prayer. I, I'm giving you praise. I'm in this dry and weary land where there's no water and I can, I can still praise you. There's a perspective that David is giving us here that is extremely helpful to keep during the holiday season where there's a lot of expectations, where there's a lot of pressure and when the expectations aren't met. Uh, songwriters often turn to the Psalms for their inspiration. If they're looking for to write a song, this is, you know, if I was a songwriter, which I'm not, I'd, I'd come here because these these are crafted and they're they're putting the attention on God. And in fact, Psalm 63, if you read church history, Psalm 63 is one of those psalms that the early church would recite as they gathered together. This was one of their traditions was to recite Psalm 63 in in a, in like a congregational way because this this puts our this puts our focus on God despite what we're experiencing. David has this way here of kind of giving us a, a road map on how to experience praise in the midst of any circumstance. So, uh, I, I'm bro- I've broken this down as gratitude's melody. And so, just four uh, statements here summarizing this psalm, and we'll look more carefully at the verses here. So, the first here is, since God is personal, I can have a relationship with Him. That's from uh, verse 1 there. Since God is personal, I, I, can, I can have a relationship with Him. David says this, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God is personal, we learn. David is acknowledging first, though, that he is God. So, oh God, he starts with this statement. The word in Hebrew, it's, it's the word that um, refers to God's creating. His might. So, the word Elohim, it, it means... God, but it has to do with the fact that He was the Creator God. He was the grand designer who spoke all that we see into existence. He is that God. He's powerful. He's almighty. But He is my God, David says. Oh God, this is who you are, but you're my God. So you're, you're over all things, but you're involved in my life. I love that picture there. Oh God, you are my God. You're, you're, you're not tied to these things. You're not, um, 
dependent on us. You're, you're, you made all of this. You could take it all away. You can, you can interact. And in fact, you do. You stepped into our world. You know, you are my God. So David, he's expressing God in his majesty and also in his close personal nature to him. And, you know, I would never talk about the mayor of Riverside in a real personal way because I don't know him. Now, you might know him. He may know you. And if he knows your name, you might say, yeah, he's, he's my mayor. And David had this closeness there in the, in the relationship. David knew God in that, in that way. Do you, do you know God in that way? Maybe you're beginning to know Him in that way. It could be even that this Thanksgiving, you're, you're setting a place at your table for God. Like symbolically, you're just making room at your table to give thanks. You're recognizing God is, He's very much a part of, of my life now. He's part of my family life now. And, and God, help, help us to, to realize that you're here with us. Help us to see your hand at work. Um, but again, David could say this because this is, he's saying, you are my God. And this personal relationship that he has with God, that grows out of pursuing God. If you want to have a personal relationship, you, you pursue God. In fact, this is a mark of many of the, the key leaders in the Bible, was that they would pursue aggressively God. Look at the phrasing here. Oh God, you are my God. And then three statements. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. This is describing that pursuit that David, that he had towards, towards God. Uh, A.W. Tozer, he was an American pastor. He died about 50 years ago. But here's a quote from a book called The Pursuit of God. He says this, Come near to the holy men and women of the past. He's saying, when you read the Bible, Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned. They mourned for Him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for Him day and night, in season and out. Basically, you know, for David, it's like in the palace, near the tabernacle, in the wilderness, in season and out, in the good times and the bad times. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Complacency is a deadly foe for all spiritual growth. If I want to know God, if I want to grow in my relationship with him and grow closer to him in a personal way, that I have to pursue him. I have to pursue him. I have to... That's... That, that's that's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me focus and attention. And so A.W. Tozer, he notices, this is the pattern of those who knew God personally. They pursued Him intentionally. And so David, he did this. He pursued Him in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And David's own experience in the wilderness had actually prompted him to think about how thankful he was to just thirst after God. And, and so it's, it's... This first line... Um, it helps us understand, how, how do I develop that more personal relationship? Well, I pursue God in that same way. Second line here, since God is powerful and glorious, I can rely on His provision. That's, that statement, Just I'm just summarizing verse 2 here. Verse 2 says, So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David had experienced God's power both on the battlefield when, when God said, Hey, do this, lead, lead my people, and God, was, you know, God gave him the victory. 
time and time again. He, he experienced God's power on the battlefield, but he also experienced God's power as he worshipped him in the tabernacle. And so before the desert experience, David stood in the presence and the power of God. He, the Hebrew word for glory, he uses this word, I've beheld, you know, he had, this is all, you know, past language here. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. He's drawing upon the past, the history with God. Beholding you, beholding your power and glory. This is what he has experienced already leading up to the desert. He's already seen God in personal ways. And he's also seen God powerfully and he's experienced his glory. The word glory, it's the Hebrew word has, it can literally mean weighty or weight. And it has to do with the fact that approaching God is not a light thing. It's not, he's not weak. He's not light. He's not lightweight. He's powerful. And he's awe-inspiring. And so here is David in the desert alone, yet he uses this occasion to worship the God whose power he has beheld so many times in the past. And when we're in over our heads or when we're struggling, when we're in a dry wasteland, if we have a history with God in the past, we can actually call that to mind out of gratitude and just call that to mind and just express praise and rely on God once again. God, I know you've seen me through in the past. I'm trusting you to provide and and really help me move forward right here, right now, in this circumstance. Third line here. Since God is faithful and loving, I can find real satisfaction. Again, David's pointing to the past. Because of your steadfast love, or because your steadfast love is better than life, the word, those words there, steadfast love, this describing God's loyalty, His faithful love, that you can count on. It's like, it's like the sunrise coming up every day. The fact that we can count on that. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands, my soul will be satisfied, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you, upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. God is faithful and loving. And these words, you know, these words just point to that. That as David looked at his entire life, he could just see God's hand of faithfulness. And and in your life, think about how God has been faithful to you. Think about the times where you really needed someone to come through, where you really needed to hear from Him, where you where you were up against a, a challenge you could not handle on your own and, and you experienced God's love and His care for you. God's presence is consistent. His care is steady. And so this, this perspective, it allows us to do a handful of things. Back up to verse 4. If we have this understanding of God, then if we believe He's loving and faithful, then we can bless Him. We can worship Him, basically. David's like, I, I can worship you. I'm out here in the desert, but I can worship you. When we're in the desert dealing with difficult circumstances, you know, our worship can still flow. We can still rejoice and say, God, that is so true of you. These things are true of you. Because this whole psalm is David just saying, God, because you are this, then I will this. Because you are faithful and loving, then I'll bless you. So many of you, this is your story right now. You're in, you're in the desert. You're worshiping God, even this morning, despite the circumstances you're experiencing. And you can't explain that apart from a God who is worthy of that. Verses 5 and 6, you see kind of this idea of satisfaction. Back up to verse 5 again. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. You know how you feel after you've had a really great meal? Just a really good meal. And not... 
Not when you're stuffed. Because you know how you feel when you're stuffed. It's not the same feeling when you're like, I'm satisfied and that was, that was really good and I'm satisfied. And I'm going to walk away. Sure, I can do more. This isn't a competition. But I'm satisfied. I'm going I'm to get up and, and that was good. David, he was, he was at rest. He had this inner contentment and peace as he just enjoyed his time with the Lord. He was fully satisfied with God. Again, in the desert where there's no water, where he's alone and he realizes there's threats. Really, all day and all through the night, he says, through the watches of the night, the verse, verse 6, Are you mem- I remember you on my bed, meditate on you in the watches of the night. Can you imagine if you were to think about God all through the day? Just really reflecting on who God is. You're doing that while you're parenting. And, just, and that may, that's, that's a challenge. For those that are parents, that's a challenge. Do that at work. Difficult co-workers and bosses, that's a challenge. How do, you, how do you meditate on God throughout your day, realizing, thank you for this job, Lord. Help me to work hard for you. Help me to, help me to follow the leadership here aggressively in a way that pleases you, Lord. And thank you for giving me guidance from the Bible to really help me navigate through every place that my foot will tread. Like, I, I want to meditate on you day. And then as I... As I as my head hits the pillow at night, just to be like, God, I just thank you for this day. And you've been so faithful. And fixing our mind on Him like this. When our, when our focus is anxious and scattered, David's like saying, I, can, I have a place where I can fix my thoughts. I have a place I can fix my heart and my mind. And I can be at rest. One final line here is, Since God has been my help, then I can confidently face the future. And this is true. Verse 7 and 8. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now here's this powerful um, imagery that David gives us of God's protection. You know, he says, You have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know, the, the imagery here of being in the shadow of God's wing. David, he hid himself. He's in the desert, but he's hiding himself. You can do that. You can, regardless of what you're facing, you can hide yourself under the mighty wings of God as, as a bird might seek refuge from the threats under their mother's wing. God is so powerful. He's able to hold your life together. He's able to protect you through the struggles, through the pressure. And as we realize, wow, God, you, there is nothing that, that I'm going to experience in, li- in my life that hasn't already passed through your hands. The, thing, the challenges that I do face, recognizing, God, you're working through this. You're allowing me to experience some of these things to grow me. Even, even though I'm experiencing things, you're not out of the picture. You're still, I'm still under your care and great love. As we realize this, it just allows us to find strength and move forward confidently into the future. And what, what part of your life and of your future do you need confidence to approach? There, there's times where there's, there's those ups and then there's the downs. And with David's approach, any circumstance we find ourselves in can become the occasion for gratitude to flow into our lives. That's what, that's what I love about this is with David's approach we realize any circumstance that we find ourselves in can become the occasion for gratitude to really flow into our lives. 
And, and we, are, we ourselves, we can be refreshed even in the desert. We can grow in the desert. There can be a depth in our relationship with Him in the desert experience. And, and David's psalm here is really a map to that type of an experience. And so as we just prepare for the holiday season, keep that in mind. My circumstances do not have to dictate the tune of my, of my holidays. You know, we hear a lot of songs this season. And you get those songs in your head and they're helpful at points. And, and, but I, what I would want is that the tune that's really dominating my mind through the holidays is one of gratitude. And that's, I think, what David gives us here is just a tune of gratitude. And this is true. In God, we find a will that will not run dry. We can keep going back to that place. We can keep turning to Him even in the desert. He is that well that will not run dry. Look at Isaiah 58.11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Again, we see it. God brings the satisfaction and strength. The well-watered garden, we don't see a lot of these right now in, in California. But out of a well-watered garden comes much growth of the land. And without water, life gets choked out. The only way to be people who are filled with gratitude is to keep coming back to the well of God. And just keep coming back to Him. Approaching Him. Finding refuge in Him. Turning our hearts to Him. But we have to decide that He is where the refreshment is found. He's the only place where that refreshment will, be, will truly be found. Rather than looking elsewhere, we, we seek the Lord. And so God, He wants us to experience that type of a, a tune or that type of a melody, melody in our heart. To experience Him for His provision. Be thankful beyond you know, anything we've ever been thankful for. And if, if, if you can do that, then you are the type of person who... You know, the type of person who can sing and live out that melody, basically, not, not necessarily that you're a singer and you walk around skipping and singing a tune of, of gratitude out loud, but if you can experience that in your heart and in your mind, that type of living provides a stark contrast up against a very, very dark backdrop of our world. And Paul, in the New Testament, he, he writes this. That he says, we're to be children of light. And when we live in this way, with gratitude being the tune of our heart. It just stands out. Look at what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a very, very dark, immoral city. To the Christian church, Paul wrote this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, look, we're to be children of light. We're going to look different in this world. So he says, look, don't, don't, don't get drunk with wine. That, that leads to debauchery. The word debauchery, he's just describing in this passage a counterfeit experience, really, of refreshment. And then the real way to get refreshment. On the one hand, it's a description of a party. And just... Getting, getting hammered. He's, you know, don't get drunk. Well, it leads to debauchery. Well, what's debauchery? It's basically reckless living. And he's saying, look, when you get drunk, sometimes it leads to doing reckless things. Don't, Paul's saying, look, don't do that. As, as the children of the light, rather than on our holidays being all about just going from one experience to another, Paul's describing a new reality where 
where we're living for God, we're being filled with His Spirit. Look at verse 19, where we're addressing one another in spiritual songs, hymns, psalms, singing, making melody to the Lord. There's a, there's a, basically a song in our heart that's driving our conversations, that's uh, finding its way into the, the discussion around the table for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, that, that we're carrying with us a, a, the right perspective as we're shopping for gifts, as we're navigating long drives. This is a different way of living, Paul is saying. He's, he's like, be the children of light. That's, those are the children of light. And you don't need anything or anyone to complete who you are. God is, is, is all that you need. I want to invite our, our worship team to join back up on the stage here. And we're going to sing another song of gratitude to the Lord. And I really hope that this Thanksgiving you're able to really fix your heart and your attention on God out of gratitude in response to who He is. Just as David did in the desert. I really want to encourage you. To, to reflect on this passage again this week. Just really remembering what God has done and then and recognizing that He's really at work. He's, he's taking the challenges of today and those will likely be become tomorrow's praise. On the back of your connection card, you'll notice we've got some next steps. and There's just three next steps I wanted to highlight here. The first one is this, is to identify a current stress I'm facing and ask God for help. Second is, give thanks in my current circumstances if you're having a difficult time doing that. And then, and then really to read, kind of go back through reading Psalm 63 and pull out an insight of something to focus on this week. The Psalms are just a great place to, to connect with God in a real personal way. But let's go to the Lord in prayer as we, as we thank Him. Father, thank You for the life that You've given us. Thank You for the air that we breathe. Thank You for giving us life. Thank You for drawing us to Yourself, calling us by name to respond to You. Lord, I pray that that this holiday season would be one where the way we respond would not be tied to our circumstances, but the way that we respond to people and and to life and challenges, Lord, would really be tied to knowing you personally and drawing close to you. That you would set the right tune in our heart, in our lives. This entire holiday season, Lord, we bless you for who you are, for your work in our lives, for your care over us. And we submit to you the many challenges we're facing, Lord. We know that you are more than able, Lord, to carry those things. And to and so we offer our burdens to you even right now, Lord. We ask you to carry the things that that we are struggling to bear on our own. Lord, help us to not try to depend on ourselves, but Lord, help us to rely on you. To walk us through these seasons, Lord. We just especially pray also for those who are hurting, Lord, right now in our lives. For those that are here who who the holidays bring a mixed uh, season of emotions where there's sickness and grief over lost loved ones. Lord, I pray you'd really comfort the hearts of those that are grieving and mourning. Lord, pray that they would experience the compassion and the presence of the God of all comfort, Lord, in a very real way. So we lift our friends, brothers and sisters up to you, God. Would you bless the offering we're about to receive? We thank you for the way that you have so richly poured into our lives, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to give back to you, Lord. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray.